Hello and welcome to another episode of the Human and Machine podcast. Um, this is Yaku, my co-host Lee. Lee, how's it going? Good, and you, Yaku? Not too bad. Not too bad, thank you. It's been a week since we, we recorded the, the last episode. That was, of course, with Graham Walton, who's the MD of Flow Software. If you missed that, fascinating insights about uh, creating a, a tech, software tech startup in South Africa um, and uh, with also some big global aspirations. So that was a, that was a great chat with Graham last week. Yeah, and definitely I'm looking forward to today. Uh, the first episode we had, we talked to a system integrator. Then we had a software development house on the call and today we're actually talking to our first end client. So that's going to be quite an interesting conversation to see what they've done. Uh, not just during lockdown, but before that and how they manage the information in the manufacturing environment. Fantastic. So the Human and Machine podcast is obviously where we talk all things industrial technology. We talk about challenges affecting the manufacturing and mining industries, um, all very much with focus here in South Africa, first of all, and then the people behind the scenes, the, the, the brilliant people that are involved in, in making the wheels turn, so to speak. Um, of course, in South Africa, here we are on 103 or 104 days of lockdown. And of course, this humongous outbreak of this, this dreaded coronavirus has brought about a uh, probably a groundbreaking change in what we perceive as normal today. Um, I think with an estimated 12 million or so cases globally and 225,000 here in South Africa, um, the pandemic has sent ripples of fear across masses, destroying not only lives, but also the economies of most countries. Uh, and that's, of course, given the, the very stringent enforcement of lockdown. <clears throat> And of course, among the many sectors that have witnessed the downfall is uh, the food and beverage industry, uh, where it seems to have taken in many, many ways some of the worst hits. So in the short term, the food and beverage uh, market vendors will really have to prepare themselves for the long-term impact of COVID-19. Um, but as we've discussed over the past two episodes, that's always a great opportunity for innovation. Exactly. Um, and not only as, as we often do in, in this industry that we love not only surviving, but also thriving and, and, and becoming really innovative. So today we're chatting with um, Francois. Francois, welcome. Francois Tron is from uh, Clover. I hope I'm, like, I, I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> Clover is, of course, one of South Africa's um, most prolific and uh, um, uh, impactful uh, branded food and, and beverage manufacturers. Um, also with really good coverage and Africa as well, not just South Africa. I don't think a lot of people realize that. Um, but also very community-focused company. And it's, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Yoko. It's uh, great to be here. And um, we we were chatting beforehand. Um, I haven't seen Francois. I think the last time I saw Francois, I think uh, it was in Sun City that I saw you last. Many, many years ago. Great, yeah. How the world has changed since then. We're not in Sun City. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how, how soon we'll be able to go to Sun City. Uh, but that's the last time we spoke. What's been happening? How are you? No, I'm well, thank you. Um, yes, a lot has changed. Um, it's been an exciting time um, for me and my team. And playing around with new technology, new challenges. It's been a very exciting time since we last met. You had a lot happening before lockdown yes. and before COVID. You were quite a pivotal moment in, in, in terms of implementing a lot of the uh, a lot of the sort of advanced technologies and, and things um, that's available to the industry and then and then COVID-19 happened. Um, yes um, I think it's at this stage we haven't really noticed too much of an impact in in that development process of ours. Um, as you say we've been working on this for, for quite some time um, and like most 
technological developments. It's not something that happens overnight. So, although we've lost a bit of traction here and there, um, fortunately the team has adopted very well um, to the new way of living and working. Um, and in certain instances, I think we've actually um, we've actually been better off given the new urban um, um, conditions, and we've learned a couple of new skills. Um, Right. That is, that's this really helping us. Yeah, that's amazing. That's great feedback. We've had very similar feedback from from Graham, for example, last week, and also chatting about how being forced into the new, I hate referring to it as the new normal, but that's what people are calling it. Mm -hmm. um, how how that has actually helped in many ways the team be a little bit more productive and be a little bit more cohesive as a as a unit. Yes. What was all saying? Uh, working from home? Now you're living at work. Now you're living at work. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Francho, that's that's quite interesting. So, um, I mean, obviously, you, you your team is quite quite big. You you head of the head of the engineering department from that perspective. Um, is anything that changed in the way that you interact with your team during this phase, or is it, is it kind of always been a um, a way that Clover adopted to to have kind of a, a remote interaction with the with the team, or is it something that that changed during this this lockdown phase as well? So, our our team, especially the the head office team, um, the development team, is is used to traveling quite frequently. So, for us, our desks are wherever our laptop bags are, um, and and from that aspect, it's not funny to to change your working location. The guys are well adapted to that. Um, what I've actually found now um, is that our interaction with the, with the the engineers on the branches have actually become stronger because we have gotten so used to using virtual platforms to communicate and collaborate. It's a lot easier to pull in these guys who are remote um, because that's just how we work. Yeah. Um, where very often you would say, look, I'm going to be in Natal next week. So I'll discuss it with our engineer there when we get there. Now you just get onto Teams and you discuss it and you progress. So far cheaper as well. And it's far cheaper <laughs> as well. But nothing, nothing beats the the human touch. Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, Absolutely. Um, no, it's it's been effective for us so far. And you you grew up in the food and beverage industry. I think you 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 Cape Town, not born and bred or born and fled. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. I, I, most of my development years were in Cape Town. Um, Cape Town, okay. Yes, um, or in the greater Cape Town area. Studied at Stanimosh, um, okay. best university in the world. Thanks of notes. And, uh, um, no, it, it, it was during my, um, student years where I was first exposed to breweries, um, doing, um, uh, 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 I think as a student, that's probably fairly common. <laughs> or you mean the manufacturing <laughs> side of <brewery. laughs> Yes. Okay, the manufacturing side of brewery. So okay. I was first introduced to the product, and then to the manufacturing process. <laughs> and um, it, it, it's, it's the first time where I was really introduced to the manufacturing systems environment, or manufacturing um, in general. Um, and it, it was really an eye-opener, and it, it, it looked quite inter interesting. Um, so I, I actually ended up being with the group for quite a substantial time. Okay, amazing. Yes. And you started at uh, Appletizer, yes, say yes. in the Elgin, beautiful yes. part of the world. I was lucky enough to, to spend a few days at the um, Elgin River Lodge okay. uh, last year. 
um, in the Elgin Valley. Beautiful, beautiful part of the world. Like I think of far worse places to, to work <laughs> and, and be based in. It was a special time because at the time I, I lived on a wine farm and every day I commuted up Solaris Pass to the apple farm where the factory was located. Yeah. Amazing, amazing, amazing part of South Africa for those for those listeners that are not familiar with uh, the Elgin Valley. It's it's definitely apple country, but but beautiful place. And then you um, moved north. You you've made the big decision to to join the northern part of the country. Yes, I, I suppose that's an inevitable part of most engineers' career. Um, as pretty as the uh, the vineyards and the orchards are, at some point we need to face reality. Um, <laughs> so I went from a very, very small factory. And did, sorry to interrupt, did you feel that, do you still feel that most of the opportunities to young engineers are still up in Gauteng? I, I think that is, from what I'm seeing, slowly starting to change. Um, okay. uh, obviously in a lot of the manufacturing and, and especially I think the heavier industries, um, the most opportunities are up north. Um, but it looks like there's, there's quite a big development in, in, in engineering kind of services in Cape Town, um, especially on the software development side. Um, so from what I hear, a lot of people are happily moving back to Cape Town, which yeah. I can fully understand. <laughs> no, of course. Yeah. Yes. Cool. So, so Francho, obviously then you, you moved to, to Gauteng, you, you started a, a, your journey at, at Clover. Um, and I think from, from, from my perspective, I think one thing that's fascinating for me from, from the Clover story and what you guys have done there, and, and this is done before lockdown, it was done before the need of having data centrally available for everybody, um, is that you guys already went on that journey, even before that. So you, you were kind of, I almost want to say one step ahead of the curve when it came to having data from, from your remote sites locally available for everybody to actually access it and, and, and have that data available for everybody. Yes, um, thank you for that observation, Lenny. Um, it is something that we have been busy with for probably the last four years or so, is, is kind of reviving um, our manufacturing systems environment. Um, there were very good implementations before that, um, but we, we got to a point where the there was a need for central information management, data management, um, and operational management. Um, and to leverage the benefits that come from that. Um, so we started this journey um, to roadmap a plan to, to go to a future end state. Um, and it was actually funny thinking um, in preparing um, for this discussion. You realize that when you look at your progress day to day, um, it looks like nothing changes. Right? Um, yeah. But if I look back the last two years or the last four years, we've actually made very big improvements, um, or very big good progress um, towards these goals of ours. Um, and and I and I think that that talks to a good alignment in the team, um, a strong team um, who understands what the objectives are. Talking about team, I have to ask the. Um uh, I almost want to say the dreaded question about the, the love-hate relationship between IT and OT. <laughs> and if you, um, uh, you, you can be 100% to decline to answer for me. <laughs> I'm not sure how much you guys love each other on that side. But for, for people that are not that familiar, there's, there's a long-standing industry um, observation or perception, I suppose, that, that uh, the IT and the OT folks 
often bum heads a little bit. And I think it, I think it probably stems from the fact that very often in the OT space, the procurement, the maintenance, and the engineering of the systems don't belong to IT. Where in, in, in all other industries, it does belong to IT. Um, and I think that's where a lot of that sort of. But it does feel like over the over the past two years or so, that divide has definitely shrunk and has been gapped, and, and we see a lot more cohesive teams now between IT and OT. What are your, your thoughts on that? Yeah, that, that is a very funny um, observation because it is so true and we definitely tread on each other's toes. Um, I'm fortunate to, to have a, a colleague across the stream um, who I have a good relationship with and, and I think we understand each other's needs very well. Um, and what I've actually realized is that once, once you understand the benefits um, and, and the needs of the other, then you can actually leverage um, that philosophy to your own benefit. Um, yes, so once you once you really understand the benefits that the strict IT environment brings, you can actually use that to your benefit. Um, and, and that's what we've done in many cases. And I think everyone's scared of handing over control of hardware, handing over control of infrastructure, handing over control of security. But you can leverage that to actually take away pain out of your life, um, make hardware someone else's problem, make infrastructure someone else's problem, and use security structures to actually help you to manage operational structures. And and I think once we've found that balance, um, we've, we've established a very good working relationship. Security is, of course, a, a hot topic, especially, I would imagine, in, in Fluid and Bev. And I think where OT has, has been quite, quite not targeted, but I suppose uh, quite particularly focused on the, in the security space is that very often these sort of legacy control systems have been designed to, to last a lifetime. <laughs> and uh, very often they were not designed to be online. Mm. Um, and all of a sudden now they, they're expected to be online, and that brings with it all sorts of security challenges. So it's super critical for IT and OT to be on the same page. 100%. And, and this is unfortunately a daily conversation for me, um, even with big OEMs, um, where the mindset is often still exactly that, is I'm putting down a machine for its life. Um, but that's, that's not really a relevant position anymore. Um, anything that you put on a network, anything that is exposed will be a security threat um, and I had a good chuckle with our infrastructure manager the other day because he, he feels like he's brainwashed me sufficiently now. Brainwashed <laughs> <laughs> you. But unfortunately this is the reality and, and we can't have little islands anymore. Yeah, 100%. And also what makes it a little bit more challenging on the OT side is that it's an operation that usually runs 24-7. So yes. to be able to pause that at some point and do updates and upgrades, it's, not, it's, it's, it's got to be planned very carefully. And, and, and these, are, these are factors that we definitely take into account in our technology selection. Um, because we've, we've come to realize that that's a non-negotiable. Um, your operating systems, your software applications need to be up to date, need to be secure. Um, that means frequent maintenance, and you can't stop your operation every time 
to do maintenance. Yeah. I can see Lenny's burning to ask you a question. <laughs> just, just quickly, you mentioned some of the drivers that um, I'm keen to understand some of those drivers that sort of um, that sort of is pushing you towards sort of innovating and, and advancing technology. I mean, it's I would, I would imagine that it's a lot of it is, is consumer trends and innovations that's driving it. Well, what are some of the main drivers that you feel are, is, is responsible for the most innovation? It's, it's obviously in food and beverage. I'm thinking of stuff like, is something like health consciousness amongst consumers a big driver? I know the plastic ban, for example, is a, is a big thing globally. Um, there's obviously traceability um, uh, is, is, is a big factor in, in food and beef. And then you, of course, have the regulatory landscape, which, uh, which is, has, has to be quite stringent as well, of course, in, in food and beef. Obviously, it's, you know, it's people's lives. What, what are some of the big drivers that, have, that are pushing you guys towards that innovation that you, you're aiming for? So. That's quite a loaded question. Uh, it is, sorry, it's <laughs> not an easy one, isn't it? <laughs> um, look, it's at the beginning of this journey, um, there were a couple of things we, we needed to decide because, as I mentioned before, I'm fortunate to have a very strong team. Um, and it's very difficult to hold the guys back. Um, they like development, they like new toys. But at the end of the day, Clover's automation development team is not there to serve itself, but to support the business. What's often difficult is that the, um, the business, without prior knowledge of what the technology can bring, doesn't really know what to expect um, or what to definitely ask for. So where we started was with the business goals and the business strategy, and we aligned our roadmap to talk to that. Um, obviously, in, in the end state of that journey, you have a couple of capabilities that you need to put in place. Um, but it's not a switch that you flip and all of a sudden you provide these capabilities. And those capabilities include what you've mentioned now. It, it includes um, visualization of operational performance real time. It includes um, tracking and tracing capabilities. Um, it includes um, a number of things that can support the business strategy. Um, the way control systems have been developed in the past have often spoken to immediate needs um, of production. Um, and while it was very good in servicing that, the the mixed bag of control systems that you mm -hmm. sit with at the end of the day make it very difficult to work towards a, mm -hmm. a definite end state. And this is this brings me back to when you look back at where we've where we've come because on the one hand it feels like you haven't reached that end state yet. progress yeah. um, but it's a journey I mean it's, it's, it's never going to be journey. perfect because it implies that there's nothing more that can be done yes um, but yeah but but if you look back in you can look at the technologies and the capabilities and the systems that you've already put in place in order to to support the business strategy. I think we've made some progress, and, and I think that to an extent that addresses your your, your question is, it wasn't innovation for the sake of innovation. Um, it was innovation to support a specific need and to drive a specific end goal. And even though I think we are quite far from reaching that end goal, and there's probably guys out there who do it a lot better than we do, um, I think we've made quite a bit of progress, and I'm quite excited about where we are going. Fantastic. 
Yeah, and I think also it's very important as we, we talked about meeting certain business objectives. But I think for this IT OT journey to also be successful, we also need to, to take in consideration potentially some IT objectives that we need to, to marry between IT and OT. Um, we're talking about potentially, if you think about the buzzwords in the IT world, we're talking about big data, we're talking about centralizing your operations, um, we're talking about mobility and, and really making everything available for, for not just yeah. a remote workforce. And, and this is data that's predominantly been isolated into the IoT space uh, as we know it. Um, but Francois, what did your journey and what did you guys do from that perspective to, to kind of you know, meet that IT objectives as well? Linear, I, I think there's, there's a number of items there. Um, firstly, I think once you have that relationship established between your IT and your OT teams, um, and there's a better appreciation for what goes into the management, um, you can better align those goals. So, so things like um, centralization, um, virtualization become topics um, because it, if you understand the ease of the maintenance, well, firstly, understand the importance of the maintenance and then the ease of, the, of that maintenance. Um, it's easier to adapt to that. Um, on the one hand, though, there's also kind of a, 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 an expectation from the IT team um, to, to demonstrate capability. Um, I think we've, we've gone a long way in, in terms of our, our infrastructure, server infrastructure and network teams having demonstrated certain capabilities to us, which gives us a level of comfort to adopt centralization um, in terms of the applications we use as well as the infrastructure we use. Um, so it's very easier for us to consolidate data collection um, in a central um, geographic location rather than replicating that across multiple sites. Um, you enter that uh, at, at mobility, um, which is also a very important thing for us. And, and again, something you can't really do in isolation, or you can't do well in isolation. Um, that's definitely been part of our, our conversation with our IT team. And, and it also again talks to technology selection. Um, mm -hmm. um, certain applications make mobility a lot easier than other applications make it. And, and it's definitely been part of our decision making process. And, and as you mentioned, I mean, even worse if you sit with a whole bunch of legacy components. I mean, I think that's a big struggle for the OT environment is, yeah, we hear of all of these things, but we, we also have to remember that we sit with legacy things. Mm -hmm. and, and it's almost like we need something that can bridge our legacy OT environment to align with this new fancy stuff that the IT can, can mm -hmm. provide us. The, the conversation around legacy equipment is something that, that keeps coming up. And, and when you start this technology development journey of yours, you get very excited about the end state and you almost want to rush into into the solution. Um, but I've, I've I've learned that we need to we need to manage different technologies on different um, stages of their life cycle. And that requires a team that is ambidextrous. Um, um, that that can actually look at these at these different technologies and, and, and in, again it's something that you almost need to embrace. Um, instead of the mindset of I need to replace that piece of kit as soon as possible, it becomes how do I wrap that piece of kit yeah. in, in some kind of other technology that allows me to manage it better. 
how do I include this? How do I include as opposed to yeah, wanting to rip and replace? Exactly. Yes. Yes. I mean, rip and replace. It's 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 just not financially. It's just sometimes it just doesn't make sense to actually go that route. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. You you um, speak about uh, consolidating. We spoke about data last week with Graham about the flow of data and about you know the data is there. It's just about making it available to just the relevant role players within the supply chain. Everybody has a different need and a different uh, want from what they want to see. Mm. And I suppose the, the, the data or the information buck stops with you guys. You know, you would get a request further up the supply chain to get a view of a certain set of data. What does that look like? Does that happen often, regular? How does your team respond to that? Do you have the capability to very easily expose and contextualize the data depending on who's asking for what? In terms of data and information flow, we are actually at a very interesting point now. Um, again, it's it's something something that we know is a capability we can deliver, but but that the business didn't always understand very well in all areas. Um, some areas there was some there was some pull from 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 the business, but we're experiencing a lot more pull coming from operational managers um, asking for data and information. That's very exciting for us on the one hand, but at, at the other end, it also means we need to accelerate some of our activities. Um, in terms of data, there's, there's, there's a couple of things that's important for me. Um, you want it as complete as possible. Um, and, and that means you shouldn't constrain your data collection based on infrastructure constraints. Um, again, this talks to the relationship with, with the IT department. Um, it also talks to technology selection um, in terms of um, the software that you use to collect that data. Another thing that's important for me um, in the data context is, is data on its own means very little um, unless you have a very high, a highly skilled individual interpreting that data. Mm. So a part of our roadmap has been to provide a, a, a OT infrastructure that provides context to that data. Um, because the more context you context have, is everything. the better you can, the easier you can turn that data into information that, that actually drives decision making. Mm. So, um, does that also yeah, 100%? Yeah, that's that's perfect. I mean, we had a, again, we had a long chat with, with Graham last week about the importance of the data and not only being, being able to to contextualize it, but to your point, also understand where does it come from, all these disparate sources, and it's very often now we see that it's outside of the fence kind of sources that it's coming from, um, and yeah, just another reason for, for, for the two teams to work together very closely and and, uh, and happily work together. It's, it's really something you can't, you can't um, divorce data from, from, your, from your manufacturing systems. It's, you should really see it as one implementation um, and, and develop a consolidated view. Something maybe just on that topic that, that, that I've realized of late, and it again comes back to, especially um, on, on OEM systems, and I find it very often with technology salesmen, um, as this, the soul of, of buzzwords and, and and of the TLAs, yes. So, so, so the guys who come to you and sell you industry 4.0 out of the box and who sell you 
IoT systems that don't actually address your need but allow you to, to, to throw buzzwords around. Um, if I can't consolidate that into my reporting platform, it, it actually misses the point. Um, so, so that's also an area where, where technology selection needs to be very specific and and you can't just implement what you need. Yeah, I think that's a very important point. I've, I've heard of so many people that have got a we're now in the fourth industrial revolution. We're four in IR, yeah. Four IR, we're in the industrial internet of things, and I must have a di I must have the strategy. I must have a DX, a digital transformation strategy. strategy. I must, I must have it because, but, but is it actually going to meet your business needs and business requirements? Is it actually going to, going to sustain, but taking your business into that that future? And I think that's hundred percent right. You, you shouldn't just go onto this journey just for the sake of going onto it because it's now it's happening. I must, I must have. Exactly. It's a clear objective of why you want to go and embark on that strategy and what it's going to meet, meet from a business perspective. Absolutely. It has to tie back to a business case, to a business need. Yeah. I, I, can, I can go on about this topic for a very long time because I agree, at the end of the day, you need a business strategy and your technology development process needs to support that. As, as, as soon as you start splitting it out into different strategies with, with misaligned objectives, you're setting yourself up for a world of pain. <laughs> yeah. On the on the technology selection side, I uh, I know that you you've, you've recently had a, an ignition project. I think it was. I'm hoping I'm okay if we can, we can yeah. talk about that. That's obviously something new. Um, it was something different. It's something outside of what was existing within your vast OT um, landscape in terms of technologies. What is your your very brief experience? What what, what is the project? Um, what has it been like? What's the experience with Ignition been like? Any observations, learnings, perhaps? It's a it has been an interesting journey, and especially when it comes to that layer of of, of OT systems, it, it's very difficult to make a change because the incumbent technology is normally so so far entrenched. It's, it's difficult to, to to remove it from your systems, but um, we, we got to a point where we needed certain things to, to support our journey and, and Ignition looked like the platform that would help us to achieve um, the capabilities that we wanted in our roadmap. And, and from our experience so far, um, it's been very positive. It's been a very steep learning curve. Of course. Um, it is again something that, that you cannot even think of if you don't have the right people around the table. Um, I keep coming back to having a strong team um, because the, 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 the skills and, and the team that you need to drive this kind of change is paramount. Um, the, the implementations that we've done so far is, is actually also start creating a lot of excitement in the business because the admission platform allows us to address certain needs that the our operational um, teams in the factories have had for years. Um, I'm very excited about mobility. Um, I'm, I'm excited about the the HTML5 platform um, that we're on the visual, yeah. visualization of. Um, it just it just opens the door for for so much more interaction with the system, um, and it, it's not this little island there, um, but it becomes something that everyone can work with. Um, 
I think an important note on that, if I can, we, we spoke about it a little bit briefly, we said about legacy OT equipment, legacy entrenched pieces of software that you, that you don't have a rip and replace kind of, but you wrap it mm-hmm. with something else to give you this. And I think that's a very important thing for, for Brownfield's kind of implementations is to, is to, to understand what your goal is. And, and necessarily a rip and replace strategy is not necessarily the correct way to go, but to have the capability to wrap something that you already have from an investment perspective, just to leverage new technologies that this new technology can bring to you so to expand into the mobility field, as, as Francois mentioned. I think that's a very important factor, especially in, in brownfield implementations, where you sit with the challenge, you sit with technology that's potentially... Massive investments that you've made. investments, technology that's 10, 20 years old, now all of a sudden you need mobility. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a very, very important point that you've, that you've mentioned is to wrap that, to extend the capability so, so to, why to bring that capability. Interoperability is probably quite important for yeah. whatever sort of tech that you're looking at. This is the ability to connect, include, have, a, have an all-inclusive kind of a architecture okay. and view to very quickly and easily connect all those, those not only machines, but people with each other. Yeah. That's, that's quite important. And that is very important. And as I say, when you discover that you need to be ambidextrous mm-hmm. and embrace different technologies, um, then you can't then you can't have a very rigid um, overarching system. You need something that is more flexible mm-hmm. and that you can adapt quite easily. You speak very fondly of your team, um, <coughs> your, the, the strong team that you have. Um, you want to do any shout outs, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to do a shout out. But, uh, just a question on team. You, you mentioned two things that I, uh, that I just want to touch upon. You, you mentioned about the, the team being very innovative um, and, and giving them the, the freedom, I suppose, to, to be able to innovate and do different things. What that does <clears throat> mean for you as a leader, though, is you can't, you can't expect them to slow down because you want to lead. You know, you, you want to give them the ability and the freedom to do different things and innovate and, and create some new things. Um, but the challenge then is you, you can't expect them to slow down and do that at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's, that's always tricky for, for, for leading a, an innovative team like that. So, so, so firstly, um, I'm, I can't mention everyone by name um, <laughs> because, because we'll sit here for a while if I, if I have to. But, 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 but I do want to um, give a special shout out to Dion Gould. Um, he's been a very big driver in this um, ignition journey specifically and, and in our standardization journey. Um, and, and I actually told him I don't want to step on his toes. I don't want to take his credit for him. In terms of managing that innovation, it's one of the things I've learned is, is as a manager, firstly, you need to create that direction. Because if everyone knows what the end goal is, then, then the innovations and, and the, um, the work that they bring to the table will be aligned, aligned to what your end state is. Exactly. Right? Um, the other thing I've learned is as a manager, when to stand back and just give them space. Um, obviously, it comes with a trade-off of, of sometimes you will say, look, this is fantastic, but it doesn't serve our good. Our, our need. Um, it's, it's great, but it's not applicable. This <laughs> <laughs> is amazing the stuff you're doing, but how are we going to use it? Yeah. But often from that flows flows ideas that we can use. Um, so there's a bit of a give and a take, um, but freedom is is definitely key. You, you need to be you need to be comfortable enough 
to accept that the guys in your team are smarter than you are. Yes, um, and that sometimes you need to listen to them. All you need to do is point them in the right direction. <laughs> and that's how I try to engage with the team. Well, that, that's, that's very often what we, not very often, that's what we do as leaders. We, we guide and, and we lead and we, and we encourage. Mm. And it uh, doesn't sound like you micromanage at all, which is great. <laughs> Sounds like almost like a, a locracy, like uh, you know, giving the guys the ability to, to do what they have to do and trusting, mm. trusting them and, and giving them that, uh, that rope and that freedom. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's what we're going for. <laughs> <laughs> Francois, um, maybe a little bit of a difficult question, but is there anything in the from a technology perspective? Have we had easy questions? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a good one, I must say. Um, anything in, in the in the future pipeline of your roadmap that you that you might share with us, or you're allowed to share with us, what you guys are are, look, are doing with the next stages of your roadmap? I mean, you you spoke about having this. This this roadmap and and that was the part of the success is having this roadmap that's aligned with your with your business strategy and journeys. Anything in the future that you guys are going to do that you might share? No, I, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, trade secret. <laughs> I think I think as we as we are progressing down this roadmap of ours, um, and as I said, the, the, the pull from the business is starting to get stronger. Um, I think that the focus for us is really to say, okay, right, we've come to a certain point in our roadmap. We've seen some pull now. The pull doesn't look exactly what we envisaged it to be. Um, so now we need to make sure that we service that correctly. Um, and I think often we find ourselves in the place where we want to control everything again. So, so similar conversation to we, we want to control the infrastructure and we had to learn to let that go. Mm. Um, we wanted to control the visualization side and the reporting side as well. Um, and now we need to learn how do we use the capabilities we have, um, the data collection, the aggregation, the um, contextualization, and feed it to our customers in the way that they can use it. Um, was that vague enough for you? Really? <laughs> I, 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 like, I like the answer. The reason I like the answer is it, it's almost like we said a little bit earlier that, oh goodness, there's fourth industrial division, I need to have something. Yes. Yeah. Oh goodness, I can do machine learning, I have to do it. I think I think you're hitting it spot on Frontier, that there's a pool of a need from business that I'm addressing with my technology. Mm -hmm. And how it's going to your customers and, and the consumers. It's yeah. not, oh goodness, I have to do machine learning now because that's not the next best thing. Yeah. And, and I think I think that's, that's exactly the answer that I was looking for. And, and I think a lot of people do that. They, this is, you said it as well, the big fancy words, the, the, the hype around machine learning, artificial intelligence, which is now the next thing if we look at the fourth industrial mm -hmm. space. Um, and it's not necessarily serving a need now. And, and having a pool mechanism from business needs, but making sure that your technology is in that state. And then to say, oh, what you actually now need is a machine learning algorithm. Great, we can push that data into the cloud and you sort it. Where it makes sense. Where it makes sense. Mm -hmm. and because it addresses a business need, but, but thanks for that. I, I really am a strong believer in serving business needs with technology rather than just throwing technology for for what. And yeah, so that's perfect. Thanks. Sounds exciting. I know that Clover is obviously a very innovative business. We, we look at some of the, the, the sort of more recent products and product lines that have been added. So I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, see what's going to be added next to the portfolio. 
And Clover, I mean, again, it's, it's a very community-focused community business. It's a lot of projects um, really focused on community outreach, community sustainability. Are you involved with any of those personally or have been involved? And unfortunately, I'm not involved with those very uh, personally. But, but yes, I am proud to say that, um, that, that we do a lot of work in the community. Um, um, support for Choc specifically and, yes. and the Mama Africa um, initiatives um, where we help people in their communities to become self-sufficient business um, leaders. Um, it, it, is, it is good to be associated. Does make you feel proud. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I, I always aim for around a specific time. I think we're almost there. Danny, do you have uh, any other questions for Francois? Great chatting with you, Francois, by the way. Really, really nice insights. Thank you. Yeah, no, I think um, from a technology perspective, sorry, I always try it. I always steer a little bit more to the techie side of stuff. Uh, but Let's use the techie on the side. That's <laughs> yeah, no, great. Great to, great, uh, Francois. And again, great to see that you guys are, are on this journey, on this roadmap. Uh, as you said, it took, it's now, what, two or four years in making. Uh, maybe a last thing on that is um, maybe just on the on the pandemic side again, do you, I know you said every day when you wake up and you see your progress, it doesn't look like much, but if you look over the two-year span, you can really see the, the changes. Um, did that accelerate a little bit with, with COVID, do you feel? Or? Yeah, I think what... Um what the lockdown period has, 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 has done for our team from a development point of view is it's accelerated certain processes rather than necessarily technology in, in the way that we um, approach our development process. So, for instance, we, we've, um, we've spent quite a bit of time in, in, in a break, work breakdown of the development process mm -hmm. so that it's easier for us to, to divvy work up between mm -hmm. different people. Yeah. Um, we've spent some time focusing on how do we get user input quicker, um, doing more proof of concept um, kind of visualization. Again, Ignition provides a fantastic platform to allow users to interact with a platform before it's even live. Mm. Um, we've done, we've, we've started doing FATs remotely. Um, so, Factory acceptance test of a new um, process Remotely. Who would have thought with five different people in three different cities. Um, it, it's fantastic. So, so it's, I, th I think it's helped our process more than anything else. I'm probably going to make you a lot more resilient to change going forward. And agile. Yes. And a lot more agile. A lot more agile. Absolutely. Cool. Cool. Thank you, Francois. So. Yeah, that was Francois from Clover. Um, as we said, the, the, the food and bev industry and all the food services and food and bev manufacturing industry at the moment is, is a fascinating space and quite a challenging space, obviously highly machine controlled, um, but given the, the expanding growth and the pace, definitely some exciting things happening in the industry. And well done, Francois, to you and the team. It sounds like you guys are doing some amazing things over at Clover. Thanks, Yaku, um, and thanks, Lenny. I really enjoyed being here today. Good stuff. Awesome. It was awesome having you. And next week we are delving into one of those TLAs, yes. three-letter acronyms. <laughs> this is actually a four-letter acronym. It's uh, IIoT or Industrial Internet of Things. And we're chatting with Louis van Dijk, who's the Managing Executive at Business Connection, BCX. Uh, he looks after the IIoT um, business there at Business Connection. We chat with him a little bit more about 
what is this acronym? What does it mean? How has it evolved? Um, and I suppose how real is it? And how accessible is that uh, is that technology and that industry? Especially, especially in South Africa. Yeah, definitely. So that's who we're chatting with next week. We thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, any last words, Lee? No, thank you, everybody. Uh, chat again next week. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe and look after each other. See you next week.